be found on the inside of the bulletin. One other thing, by the way, great, uh, today uh, we have a host of devotional materials that are out there. Maybe this is the time for you or your family to start uh, doing devotionals together. Uh, my wife and I and the kids, were enjoying doing a little Advent reading at dinner where we uh, look at a little passage of scripture, light a candle, uh, you know, dance around it and uh, chant and I do incense. Uh, it's great. I put on the robe. It's wonderful. It's really wonderful. So I uh, encourage you to grab one of those. Okay, let's look at our scripture, which can be found somewhere in here on page four. Matthew 1, 18, 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus, the word of the Lord. Well, I don't know if you are out doing your uh, Christmas shopping. I'm not exactly sure even what are the hot toys of the year. Um, I've decided to go with some old faithfuls, uh, Cabbage Patch Kids. Uh, I, I had to trample a five-year-old to grab one of those. They're still very popular. You've got to go to Taiwan to get them, but that's okay. Um, or the Tickle Me Elmo. I don't know if Tickle Me Elmo is still hot uh, going off the shelves, but uh, Tickle Me Elmo... Uh, is uh, going to be under the tree as well for the umpteenth year. He's just so darn cute. Uh, maybe some of those M&M guys too, you know. Uh, I love Christmas, and I've had some great opportunity recently, actually. Uh, you know, I got to do some fun things in my job, like perform weddings, and also do marriage counseling. And so recently I've had the opportunity to meet with several couples uh, I don't know if uh, Meredith LePage is in the house or not. If so, I will not call her out. But uh, Stephen Glendening, our very own Hilo pilot, who is actually right now on assignment, is getting married to Meredith, uh, who's moved to the area. And she is a, a nurse at Virginia Beach General. They're getting married in their hometown in, uh, back um, in the Midwest. But uh, a wonderful addition. Uh, please meet Meredith uh, when she's around. Um, but I enjoy watching young love, you know? It's, uh, it's always the same kind of if they're young and they walk into the, uh, you know, the first counseling session and there's a little, there's a smile and there's enjoyment and maybe just a tad of anxiety of coming to meet with the pastor. Uh, and having sat in their seat before, you can see, you know, they have their whole life ahead of them and they don't know what they don't know. Uh, and, uh, and that's okay, and it's wonderful, and it's, it's fun to embark on that journey. And so as I was reading this passage, I could not help but reflect upon young love here, uh, Joseph and Mary. You know, we kind of 
put these people on a flannel graph and, and sort of flatten their character. But these are real people with real hopes and dreams. You know, if you've ever been married, you can remember that period of time when you were engaged and excited and you had your whole life ahead of you. And uh, so things are looking good for Joseph and Mary. They're following the path of community and society. Uh, Joseph is uh, probably somewhere between 18 to 20 years old. Uh, He is a builder. Uh, Contrary to popular jargon, both Jesus and Joseph were not carpenters alone. The Greek word is tekton, which means builders. They worked in stone as much as they worked in wood. And so he had a craft, he had a trade, and uh, he wanted to get married. And uh, so he saw this girl Mary and he fell in love with her. Maybe, we're not even sure. Mary would be somewhere around 16, maybe uh, even younger than that. Uh, People died earlier, they married earlier. And uh, getting married is a big deal. You know, it can make you or break you. And uh, Joseph knew the scriptures well. He knew Proverbs 21.9 that said, Better to live on the corner of a roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. And so he uh, probably chose wisely. I don't know how. Uh, We don't know why she was the right gal. But Joseph basically went to the house and uh, talked with the dad. And they made a deal. It's even possible they'd never even talk to one another, though doubtful in a small town like this. They certainly have never been alone together, but a transaction occurs. There's a bride price, there's a dowry, there's an agreement, there's a shared drinking of a cup, and there is a betrothal that occurs. The way marriage worked back then, it was a two-step process. They would become betrothed to one another, and, and so actually, they would be considered married to one another in all things except coming together and physical union. There was to be a period of one year approximately before they got married. Now, why one year? Well, the reason was to prove that Mary was not, uh, that the woman was not pregnant. Okay, that she was not quote-unquote damaged goods. And so there there was this period to make sure that all was well, that all was copacetic, that the son was of the line of the father. It was was a patrilineal uh, culture. And so that's the very reason why they are betrothed, but they haven't come together. The problem was, of course, that Mary was pregnant by child through the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, before they came together, she was found to be with child, From the Holy Spirit. Joseph's wife. If you'll remember Mary hears this word. And she uh, uh, goes to visit Elizabeth. And she's there long enough that when she comes back. And Joseph goes to meet his betrothed wife. Mary is showing. Can you imagine the reaction of the community? As well as the reaction of Joseph. From a community perspective, it is, uh, this is an honor and shame culture. It still is. That for Joseph to move forward would be the ultimate in shame. Even Roman law said that a man who did not divorce his wife for unfaithfulness was a panderer who exploited his wife as a prostitute. From a legal perspective, Joseph could have 
impounded the dowry, recouped the bride price, and communicated very clearly, this is not my child, upheld his honor. His future career was at stake. Nobody's going to hire a builder who has this kind of stain on his record. Joseph needed to do something. Joseph was a follower of the law. And so as verse 19 says, as her husband Joseph, at least being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. What does that mean? There were two ways to divorce someone. There were actually three, two. No one ever did the third. The first was you gather together a large group and you have this trial. You very clearly communicate. That's the best way to get the word out, so to speak. The second is more quietly, which is two witnesses is sufficient. Two witnesses, you lay it all out, it's done. The third is you simply do it without witnesses. That would actually bring a bit of shame on you, okay? Something's a little shady here. Nobody did it that way. It seemed like that was the way that Joseph was going to go. He was just going to go to the family and sign it off. This was the character of Joseph. Because Joseph knew the consequences for Mary. Mary was going to have a horrible life no matter how this thing came out. He was, she was going to have the stain of this upon her reputation. She was never going to be married. She was going to be ostracized for the rest of her life. Her child was going to be uh, ridiculed. Mary was not going to have a good life. And so Joseph went to bed having made his decision. But as verse 20 says, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And that was it. Two sentences. I wonder what Joseph thought when he woke up. Was there a sense of, I didn't really hear that. What was it that just happened? Those two sentences that have eternal consequences for my life. This angel, if I follow through with what he is telling me to do, there are immense social and financial and parental ramifications. I was going this way and God is telling me to go this way. It seems that God's way is often like this. Particularly in the Christmas story, right? Zechariah and Elizabeth in their golden years. Time out, you're going to have a child. Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament. What about Abraham? Go sacrifice your child. The one that you've been waiting for. The Christmas story is often about doing the exact opposite of what the world tells you to do. It upends the values of the world. He who would be great must be the least. And the one who rules is the one who's born in a manger. And Joseph, being a normal, red-blooded human like you and me, must have been tempted. Pull the chute. Get out of this. Go on. Move on with your life. Have you ever experienced that type of temptation? When God has spoken to you through His Word? Or a funny guy wearing a black cape? <laughs> this is what God says about how you are to date. 
Obey my commands. Honor me in your relationship. And the world is saying, no, 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 it's this way. It's this way. It's this way. Two paths, two ways. A decision to be made. Which way will you choose? When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. I love Joseph, by the way. I don't think Joseph ever spoke in the whole New Testament. You know, Zechariah, he chats for a little bit with the angel. Mary talks. Joseph doesn't say anything. Joseph was the guy. I hope I can be like Joseph. God calls us to live opposite of the world. See, the truth of the matter is, none of us really know the path that we're going to walk in life. But we can know the way in which we are to walk that path. My wife is a therapist and she, uh, she knows me inside out. The amount of money I've saved on bills alone has been tremendous. But uh, she's, been, uh, she's teaching me some about personality and I have a specific personality type. We're all wired in a certain way. Uh, and I'm, I'm called the investigator, if you will, or... Uh, and I have a personality that has a, I don't want to call it a flaw, but perhaps it is, that I have a tendency to withdraw in terms of uh, always leaving something back, always protecting something, always sort of watching my flank. Uh, so in situations where it gets a little bit dicey, I'm always thinking of an escape path or I've always got my shield with me, so to speak. And it's very ironic that I've been called into a position like the one I'm in right now. Because God calls me as a pastor to continually give my life away. To risk it all, to put myself out there. And so I find these two tensions in my life all the time. Which will I choose? My natural self that wants to move in this way or trusting God that as I extend myself, as I leave myself vulnerable, as I put myself out there to help lead and shepherd and care, that God's going to be there for me. See, God interrupts all of our lives. He has a plan for you and me that's far different from the world's. And he invites us to trust him in it. Indeed, he commands us to trust him in it. The question is, will we? He did it with Mary and Joseph and Zechariah and Elizabeth. Why would we think it's strange that he wouldn't do the exact same thing with us? In your circumstances right now, wherever you are, God is speaking. Are you hearing him? Or maybe the answer is I'm simply not listening. I've closed my ears off. I've decided my way in which I am to walk. There's a relationship I shouldn't be in. Or there's a relationship I should be in. There's a job I should be pursuing. There's a job I should be quitting. There's a friend I should be reconciling with. There's a friend I should be confronting. God's calling me to be a missionary. But I'm immune to 
what he's saying because the way seems so strange, so counter to the world. The reality, my friends, is that you cannot in the end know the path of your life. But you can know the way. There is God's way and there is ours. So choose this day which way you will walk. Well, that was Joseph 1.0. Now God interrupts. We're going to talk about Joseph 2.0 in a second. God interrupts by saying, take this child in. This child is born of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, verse 21, for he shall save his people from their sins. God has a bigger plan for this child and your marriage than you do, Joseph. And you shall name him Jesus. In the culture, it was the father that named the child in those New Testament times. And a name meant something. We really don't know, you know, in terms of Pete or John or whatever. But back then, the name actually meant something. And so the father would place upon the child a name that would reflect the hopes for that child. But God names this child. You shall name the child Jesus for... He shall save his people from their sins. That's literally what Jesus means. Or Joshua, Yeshua, which is a derivative of Yehoshua, which means, if you th- hear it, Yah, Yah, Yahweh, saves, Yeshev. God saves is what the name Jesus means. He will save them from their sins, says the angel. Now, one would think he would say something like this. You will call him Jesus because he will save them from their enemies. You will call him Jesus because he will save his people from war or pain or discomfort. The things that we think really are the problems of mankind. But he says, the angel, that he will save them from their sins. What exactly is sin? Well, the Westminster Confession says sin is disobeying or not conforming to God's law, to God's way in any way. In other words, there's a standard of how we are designed to live. The world says, look, it doesn't matter how you live as long as you believe in it and you don't hurt anyone else. But God says different. There is a way that you are meant to live. There is right, there is wrong. Indeed, there is a standard of perfection that is idealized. If you want to know what that standard is in pictorial form or in life form, look at Jesus. We are made in the image of God, but Jesus is the image of God. He is the prototype, if you will. And Jesus demonstrated in his life and in his words what it meant to love God with all of your heart and all your soul and all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. That is the standard to which we're called. Sin is not conforming to that in our actions, but it's also not conforming to that in our attitudes. Remember Jesus, he said, look, it doesn't matter if you've committed adultery or not physically. Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery already with her in his heart. It doesn't matter if you've killed someone or not. If you look at someone with hatred in your heart, it's as if you have murdered them. 
Sins not only do with my, what I do with my hands, but what I feel with my heart, what I think with my mind. And sin has consequences. In Ezekiel 18.4, God says, Every living soul belongs to me. Both alike, the Father and the Son. The soul who sins is the one who will die. Why, does people, why do people die? Because we sin. There's a consequence for our actions. But the angel says that he will save people from their sins. He will save them from the consequences of their sin. He will ultimately save them from the sins that they commit, from the sins in their heart. He will reverse the curse of humanity. How is he going to do this? Verse 22. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This concept must have floored Joseph. See, where Joseph lived, there were Eastern religions and Western religions, and there was Judaism. Eastern religions said that there is gods, there's many gods. They're infinite, they're powerful, but they're not personal. And so for someone to be God meant more to manifest the characteristics of God, but not a personal God. The Western religions, the Greeks and the Romans, they had their gods. You know, Zeus and Apollos and all those guys. And they were personal, but they certainly weren't infinite. They were kind of like superhumans, you know. They were like superheroes. They're kind of petty, really, you know. They'd, they'd get angry, they'd come down, they'd cause problems or whatever. But Judaism, they had the scriptures. They knew that God was personal, but he was also infinite. He was above mankind. His name was Yahweh, I am that I am. Indeed, he was so infinite that they wouldn't even write or say his name. The scriptures showed them that God was omnipresent. God said in this Jeremiah 23, 24, Can anyone hide in secret places so that I cannot see him? Declares the Lord. Do not I fill heaven and earth. He was omniscient. He is omniscient. He counts the number of stars and he calls them by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. He is omnipotent. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, who formed you in the womb. I am the Lord, the maker of all things, who stretches out the heavens, who spreads out the earth by myself. This infinite God, who is personal, excuse me, who is impersonal, is about to become, excuse me, personal and infinite, is about to come so close to be born as a child. The child to an 18-year-old named Joseph. Colossians 2.9 says it this way, For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. All of God, this omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God in a very small package. J.I. Packer put it this way, God became man. The divine son became a Jew. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, 
unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed and taught to, uh, taught to talk like any other child. The babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing is so fantastic as is this truth of the Incarnation. The all-powerful God of the universe became helpless. The one who counted the stars in the sky and the sand in the seashore was going to need to be taught how to read and write. The one who clothed the earth's atmosphere was going to need to be clothed with diapers. And the indestructible God was going to need to be parented by an 18-year-old kid. God with us. But you see, God with us meant more to Joseph than that means to us. You see, the presence of God often brought terror in the Old Testament. Remember when God comes down on Mount Sinai? They're so afraid they want Him to go away. See, the question is not, is God with us? But is God for us? But the words... When there's, when, uh, in the Old Testament, when it said that God is with us, means more than he's simply present with us. Listen to Exodus 3.12 when he talks to Moses there at the burning bush. He said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. Moses is saying, I'm not going. But God says, I'm with you. How about Joseph, the first Joseph, the coat of many colors, who was... Remember, continually persecuted. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. And he showed him kindness and granted him favor. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in everything he did. When Joshua takes over from Moses as the commander of the armies of Israel, God says to him, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. There is a difference between somebody being with you and somebody being with you. So I think we can look at the world and we can see the sun and, uh, you know, the beautiful sun in the sky, or we can see the storm, and we can sense the presence of the Lord. But do we understand, can we answer the question, is He not only with me, but is He for me? See, that's what Joseph is hearing, and that's what we should hear when we hear Emmanuel, God with us. It's not simply the presence of God coming near, it's the favor of God. As God said to the shepherds, peace on earth to all men on whom his favor rests. He came to be with us so he could be with us. We have to link this pass, this sentence to the one before, which is he's come to save us from our sins. Joseph heard and we should heard God is not only going to be with me he is for me I think of a story in World War II at the end of July 1941 in Auschwitz 
Three prisoners escaped from camp, prompting the commandant to pick ten men to be starved to death in an underground bunker in order to further disturb, uh, to uh, deter escape attempts. When one of the selected men, Francis, I can't even pronounce his name, cried out, My wife, my children, Maximilian Kolbe, stepped forward. I am a Catholic priest from Poland. I would like to take his place because he has a wife and children. The switch was permitted and Kolbe was put in the punitive starvation cell with the other ten men. He celebrated Mass with them each day as long as he could, giving the little bit of holy communion that he had. But it was used up and after two weeks of dehydration and starvation, only Kolbe remained alive. The guards wanted the bunker emptied and so gave Kolbe a lethal injection of carbolic acid. Some who were present at the injection said that he raised his left arm and calmly waited for the injection. You see, at the moment of need for Francis, there was Maximilian. He was not only with him, he was for him. To stand in his place, to die in his place, if necessary. See, some of you may think God is with me, but he's not for me. No, he's with me, but he's constantly angry at me. He's this guy shaking his finger at me whenever I step out of line. Or he's constantly disappointed at me. He always has this little shake in his head. It's a little bit too short. You missed it again. Or he's dispassionate. Yeah, he's with me, but he's busy on his phone. He's not paying attention to me. He's just here. Whatever's happening to me doesn't matter to him. This passage, Jesus' very life, obliterates that concept of who God is. God came to be with me so he could be for me. Oh, but if he knew my sins, he would never want to be for me. That's the whole point, you idiot. He knows your sins. He came to save you from them. That's why he came. He knows everything about you and he loves you anyways. So let yourself be saved. Stop fighting him. Jesus came to be with you so that he could be with you. He lived, he died, he rose, and he is present today here through his Holy Spirit. His call is the same as it was back then to Joseph. Once I get my act together, then I'll come to him. If you work on getting your act together and go looking for him, you'll never find him. Jesus came to save screw-ups. But if I'm a Christian, I keep screwing up. I keep sinning. Jesus is for you, and he came to save you. He has saved you, he is saving you, and he will save you. Because his spiritual blood is in your veins, and what he starts, he finishes. So when your life is falling apart, remember, He's with me. When your life's all together, 
Don't be fooled. He's with me. When you don't know what to do, it's okay. Because he's with me. Well, Joseph 2.0, let's finish up. Verse 24, Joseph woke from his sleep. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and he took his wife, but he knew her not. Joseph decided, I don't know the path. I don't know where this is going to lead. But I do know the way. And so he went to Mary and he said to her, I'm not only with you, I'm with you. From that point on, they experienced the shame of the culture wherever they went. What was it like trying to find work and feed your family? It's a pretty tough wedding night for Joseph, huh? They had to flee to Egypt. You know, Joseph died. He's, he's not mentioned when Jesus starts his ministry. He didn't even get to see all of the final of Jesus with the 5,000 feeding and the walking on water and all of that. But Joseph chose his way. God is for me and it's going to work out. Truly, Jesus said, I tell you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God that that will not receive many times more in this life and in the age to come eternal life. Yeah, he missed that stuff and he had a hard life. But he got to parent the Messiah. He got a front row seat of the fullness of God in bodily form. Jesus, who knew who he was, can you imagine the things coming out of his mouth from time to time? To hear, to call him your son, to have the privilege and honor of raising God. Jesus realized, excuse me, Joseph realized that life is more about his perfect life. It's about God. I think we're between Joseph 1.0 and 2.0 sometimes. We have personal crisis. We have a choice to believe or not. And the way I want to sum it up is simply this. Everything swings on a hinge. It all comes down to this. Is he for me or not? Because if he is for me, and he is, he's demonstrated that. I can walk in his path, in his way. And it's going to be okay. See, here's what this gives us. Gives us a way to live. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Walk by faith in me, not by sight in the world. Jesus has given us his words of how we are to live. And he's given us his Holy Spirit to help guide us. He gives us a way to live. And he gives us himself. Matthew 28, 18, he says, Go and make disciples. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. I may sometimes as a Christian feel lonely. But I'm never alone. For he's with me and he's for me. I have a way to live. I have his presence and I have his power. All circumstances he is in charge of. He knows the very hairs on my head. He is guiding every step that I make. Even in the midst of my mistakes. 
So I can have courage to wade into whatever it is that I need to wade into. Because He is for me. I have the willingness to admit that I'm a sinner. And I don't have it all together. The rest of the world, everybody's playing the game, aren't they? Got to look perfect. We don't have to do that. Why? Because He's for me. I can have courage to take on the disdain of the world as they ridicule me or mock me for the way that I live. Because in the end, it doesn't matter what they say. Because He's for me. And I will persevere to the end if He is for me. For He will make sure that I do not slip away. Joseph is my hero. Jesus is my God. As we leave this sanctuary to go to whatever is in your life, rest assured, you cannot know the path. I don't know where your life is going to take you and the twists and turns. But I do know that we can know the way. There is a way that is ours and there is a way that is God's. Choose this way, this day, which way you will follow. And if you choose God's way, you can walk in peace and rest and hope in any circumstances. Joseph and Mary did it, and you can too. Let's pray. You are the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son that not only would he be with us, but he would be with us. Let us walk in that assurance into whatever battles we have today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. It's now time for our um, worship. Uh,